We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a No tension in the second leg as Arsenal's scintillating away form and unpenetrable defense prove too much for Napoli in Italy. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Yeah, that's right. The combination of our away form uh, and our impenetrable defense uh, really proved to be too much for Napoli. I think I pretty much just said that. So there you go. Uh, But yeah, uh, those are jokes, but they're kind of not jokes because that's what? Three clean sheets. On the bounce, as they say, in a row, as we say here, consecutively, uh, as is said everywhere that speaks English. So yeah, uh, it's it's all good things. Direction of travel is good. And we move on to the semifinal of a tournament that really only feels like it starts in the semifinal, as bizarre as that sounds. Uh, ironically, dispatching Italian opposition for the second consecutive season to reach the semifinal. So that's interesting. Uh, other fun tidbits like this, as I think of them. Uh, the FBAs, the Football Blogging Awards, uh, are going to hand out awards. I recommend voting for Ars Blog as Best Content Creator, but pointedly not as Best Podcast, because Content Creator, great, he can win that. We could win Best Podcast. Wouldn't that be cool? Uh, there is a a Sunderland podcast that's actually doing quite well, I am told, which we can't have that. This is Arsenal. We win everything that uh, has anything to do with an online poll. So you can go to our po- uh, our podcast. You're there right now. And from there, you can go to our website and vote, or you can just tweet out your vote or whatever, but there's like two days left to vote. So we love you and we appreciate you and we would love your vote or that you vote for someone you think is more deserving, uh, but then... That would break our hearts, all of our hearts, collectively. How many hearts are here? All the hearts. All the hearts are here. Paul is here. You can find him on Twitter. Pause in my pants. Hello, pause. Woohoo. Woohoo, indeed. Uh, Tim is here. You can find him on Twitter. Stilberto, hello, Tim. 
I love that. And the man who slacks, the man who does not join the podcast, is back. Clive, you can find him on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Took a holiday from the last one, did you? Just working. Back a little bit late, and you lot went without being brought in some bloke called Andrew. Can't be having that, son. <laughs> did quite, did quite <laughs> well, didn't Not he? for me, Clive. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think... Uh, I think that worked out just fine, but yes, we are we are pleased to have you back. Uh, you are particularly popular on YouTube. We published this to YouTube, and the comments on YouTube were mostly "What is this shit? Where is Clive?" Um, so <laughs> tells us tells us all where we stand. Um, I, I assume your family is a big YouTube using family, then. Every one of them. Every, Every one, one, of them. one of them. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Uh, hey, mailbag next week on Patreon if you want to do the Patreon thing, and don't forget the Discord server. There's a lot of really awesome chat going on there, and cool articles are shared, and uh, lots of interesting statistics. And then sometimes I pop up with a shit opinion that I haven't already put on Twitter. So, all good things. In any event, let's dive in. Kind of <clears> nothing <throat> match, boys. I mean, uh, we we did this one easy style, uh, kind of kind of devoid of, of the things that make podcasts interesting other than a really nice lock is that set piece goal. But I, I guess we can start with you, Clive, and, and your thoughts on how we lined up. I mean, I felt very, very strongly that he would go with both strikers. And as usual, I was proven correct. Um, so, you know, kudos to me. But, you know, I, I thought this was kind of the perfect balance for, for Emery in that there was enough defensive solidity to not be wide open, but, you know, enough attacking intent in the side to recognize that an away goal would put the tie away, which it did. So do you feel he, he struck the perfect balance? I think so. I think um, the team was in the post, wasn't it, from the previous game, the way he looked after the wing backs, etc. So um, we knew we were going to go in with the back three. The back three that played is our best back three. The two wing backs that we had are our best two wing backs currently fit and available. That sent them midfield three. That's probably our most trustworthy three. And um, we have the ability, we have the running power, we have the passing ability, and we have the, the presser, the sprinter, the disruptor. Um, and then we have our two forwards on the pitch. Right? So, apart from maybe the goalkeeper, that's probably the strongest team Arsenal can put out right now. And if you're playing a team for your life, by the way, um, me- Mesut Ozil uh, fans can direct their hatred towards Clive on Twitter at Clive PAFC. <laughs> yeah, just you know, from a manager's point of view, I'm thinking if I got you know, I'm I'm going out for a big game, and there are some players that I can trust, and there are other players with equal, if not more, ability. But you have to pick a team you can trust, and from the two or three of those players, you know, let's just call them out, right? Ozil, Mkhitaryan, and Iwobi, hugely talented players. You ask yourself a question, can I trust them? Not sure. I'll tell you what I do. I'll save them for a home game. I need all their freshness because the players at home and I'm going to play a team away in Italy that I can trust. It'll give me the work rate, the pressing, the energy, the drive, the consistency, 7 out of 10, that I, can, I know I'm going to get. And that's what he did. And most of the, most of us weren't too far away from that side beforehand. And, and the balance was perfect and it's really enjoyable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it is nice to be able to get through without making this a, a stressful occasion, and we were able to do that. I mean, obviously, Lacazette's goal was the highlight of the match, but Tim, I want to I want to focus on a player that maybe wouldn't have been the first one people would expect to talk about, but I think he deserves attention. And in a game where very little a real incident happened, I thought Ainsley Maitland-Niles was was really strong again, and. Mm. You know, we we struggled so much this season after Bellerin went out trying to find a solution there. Jenkinson got to play. Mustafi has played it right back. Um, Licksteiner, the less said about him, the better. Uh, his his acquisition really 
bested only by Dennis Suarez for disaster uh, player move of the season. So, I mean, I think, well, I, I know you don't agree with that comment, by the way, but it is, it is. <laughs> um, but I, I think that Maitland-Niles went through a kind of rough period, but has really come out the other side of it showing his mm. quality. And, and I thought he was really solid and, and good in this game again. How important is his really ascendancy to the the first choice at that position and someone who looks like he can be a first choice for that position for how we've done this season and how we will do this season. Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think, um, and, and I think, you know, we should still be a little bit cautious. We go game to game, you know, a week and a half ago, was it just under two weeks ago, he had a real stinker at Everton. True, but, fair, yes. Um, I, I think in general, he has been really good lately and he came on at Watford and made that excellent block, which... Um, which was a really excellent, intelligent piece of defending, actually, and and that's that's you know considering he he hasn't made his trade really as a defender to this point, the way that he kind of when he when he put that block in, he didn't just throw himself like he he threw himself towards the player and the ball to really cut the space down. I thought that was a really intelligent, almost wily, experienced piece of defending, and um, it was Gibbsian. Well, no, I, I'm not. what? No, <laughs> I, 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 know, I know what Paul's referring to is the West Brom uh, block. Yeah. Oh, um, that, that got, that got us Champions season. League. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not sure Gibbs did that on a regular basis. But anyway, let's not relitigate the past too much. We'll um, save that but, for Patreon. That, if that yes, doesn't drive yeah. people to sign up, I don't know what does. In the spotlight, Kieran Gibbs. There you go. <laughs> um, but yeah, Ainsley Maitland-Niles, I think what we're seeing is he's just getting used to the position, um, which which I kind of always thought he would. Um, fullback's one of those positions as well where, um, you know, it's, it's very much about, you know, your body shape, what, you know, what which way to point your shoulders, covering space. You know, it's a narrow strip of the pitch and a lot of it is just to do with, like, your stance um, a lot of the time. And I think that takes a little bit of getting used to. And, and he seems to have really gotten used to that. And I think what he's discovering as well is he's, dis- he's, he's got quite a lot of attributes, Maitland-Niles. So he is strong. You, you know, he, he doesn't excel at anything. Like, he's strong, but you wouldn't say he's super, super strong. He's quick without being super, super quick. He's composed and good on the ball without being... You know, he's got a lot of seven out of ten attributes, but I think what he's really discovering over the, you know, having had a run in this position is which of his attributes are, are good for this position. And one of the things I've really liked in recent weeks, I, I think he's got the knack of driving towards the byline off the ball. Um, and we're seeing him hit that kind of half space mm-hmm. um, in behind the fullbacks. But what I've really liked is the way he carries the ball now. Um the way he kind of leans into opponents and and keeps them away from the ball. I I think he's very, very good at that. He's very good at just getting his shoulder into the chest of the opponent and just easing them away from the ball and protecting the ball. And, and, you know, without being like a super mazy dribbler, he's, he's become a lot better at holding onto it going forward, which particularly in a game like this, where you need that outlet, where we knew that with, well, actually we probably didn't come under as much pressure as we thought we would, but you kind of think, yeah, we need we need particularly without a Wobi, we need a bit of a ball carrier, someone who can, you know, get the ball up the pitch 30, 40 yards and, and give us a bit of a break. And he's he's really showing a bit of a penchant for that. So and and yeah, I think it is very important because Licksteiner is, you know, he's clearly just not gonna play again um for Arsenal and that's that's a decision that looks like it was made several months ago now. And, you know, because you look at the alternatives behind him and it's Mustafi 
um, and that's that's scary. Um, and and when you look at, in the context of the summer and the amount we've got to do and the money we've got to do it with, if we can hold off buying you know a backup right back for another year or two, um, you know that that would be very beneficial for us. So if, if Maitland Niles can just convince that yeah I can I can deputise for Bellerin until he gets fit and then we can share the position. And again, at this moment in time, he doesn't have to be Cafu to be able to do that. It'd be nice if he got to that level eventually, but he doesn't have to do that right now. He just has to be, he just has to be good. And he's been really good um, the last couple of weeks and time will tell us if he can do that consistently. But yeah, I've, I've been really enthused um, with what I've seen in, the, in, in so far as I don't, um, I'm not saying I ever shuddered, but I don't worry when I see him on the team sheet. He, he He's become... You know, quite an established part of the team now. And look, and it I seems mean, like he's warmed to the position just recently, yeah. doesn't it? I mean, he yeah. actually looks like he's enjoying it. He might have had a good performance from time to time in the past, but he didn't look like he thought he should be there. He wanted to be there. Now it seems the penny's dropping for him that, hey, yeah. we've got zero positions for you in midfield, but we've got yeah. a position that's at wing back that we'd like to pay you eighty or ninety thousand a year if you're a, a, a week on if you're actually really good at it and he just seems to have yeah. like See, settled into it. He looks he looks like a wing back rather than a midfielder playing wing back yeah. at the moment. Yeah, and and I think, you know, look, maybe some of this is because we're playing a back 3 now, the position suits him more and, you know, full back is not really his position. I do think he's a reasonable stand-up tackler actually. If there's anything that I think he could he needs to get out of his game defensively, it's that he sometimes goes to sleep off the ball and he's vulnerable to mm. runs in behind. Um, which we've seen occasionally. The the thing that's interesting, though, and, you know, Paul, I wonder if maybe this is something that even someone's had a little word in his ear about. There is no future for him at that position in the immediate term uh, because it is Bellerin's position. Now, look, Bellerin may not be back at the beginning of next season. He may not be back to the level he needs to be, and we know with these kinds of injuries that little muscular pulls and tears and niggles pop up afterwards, and so it may be a stop-start season for Bellerin next season, and so Maitland-Niles may play a lot there, but... I look at another position, and that's Aaron Ramsey, who is, I don't know if you've heard this, leaving this summer, um, you know, and you look at the midfield, and it's Torreira, and it's Ganduzi and it's Shaka, and that's really it. And I wonder if maybe Emery's even had a little word in Maitland-Niles' ear and saying, look, you're going to play 20, 25 games for the first team this season at a position that has you going, you know, both ways, you know, up and down the pitch. There may be opportunities for you next year in midfield with Ramsey leaving. And, you know, do you think it's possible that Maitland-Niles next season is a combination of, you know, deputizing for Bellerin when he's in and out of the squad, but also being part of the solution for Ramsey's departure? No. Okay. So, so moving on. <laughs> I, think, I think that may be what well, He's a midfielder, right? That's, that's what he was and thinks of himself as, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. But I think that's in some ways been his problem. Uh, he's a young fella uh, with with his own ideas. And I think he's kind of been brought up on the idea he would be a midfielder. But he's got, uh, as he's displaying, he's got the attributes to be a hell of a wingback, fullback. And I mean, one of the most interesting positions in the game these days is a wingback. You get basically to do everything. Um, and in certain lineups, you get to cut into midfield and you know dribble through the middle or, or or move in and take the ball there are all sorts of things your current wing back does that a full back of old never did um could, and could i'm he, reminded 
Well, yeah. I mean, could could how hard do you think it would be for him to slide over to the left then if people think Kolasinac is not the level that we need? Can he be better than Kolasinac on the left? Well, I think interestingly, he had better performances on at left back than he did for us early on in this run at right back. And then the, I guess there was before and after the injury, but he kind of struggled at right back when played there. But I don't think... I think he can be a much better right back and very much a, more of a, a third string left back. That's that's not really going to play to his strength. Uh, and the reason I, I kind of went with the aggressive no on the thought is not so much that it, it might not play out that way. He may well get a shot in midfield and that may well be his position at some stage in the future. But I think the important thing for Emery to do was to settle uh, Maitland-Niles down and give him the speech that says hey, we, we actually have a position open here at wing-back that can get you paid, you know, 60, 70, 80,000 a week and, are, and you have a, a hell of a career in the Premier League and at the moment I don't have a midfield position for you. It's still a possibility for you in the future, but I think his, the key job of Emery is to get Maitland-Niles to really grow into this role, really enjoy it, really start to think of himself as a wing-back. And I think it's... It's better to do that by not saying, hey, do this for a bit, but I got a midfield job for you in the future. I think he really needed to wean himself off the idea of being a, a midfielder, yeah, at maybe. least in the short to medium terms. Yeah, maybe. I, I, I don't hate that interpretation. I, I do think, you know, and this gets tedious fast, I think that Arsenal Football Club is not the size from a revenue standpoint that we should be paying our backup fullback stroke wingbacks 80000 80, a week. I mean, I... Maybe I'm out of my mind there. I think for him to earn that kind of wage, he's going to have to be a regular first-team player to position. Um, and, and you know, next season, it's unclear where that position will be. I, I do think that well, given... Well, let's, let's not get hung up on whether he's paid 60 or 70 or 80, but... But no, no, not paid, I, that's why I said it's tedious. We don't, we don't have yeah, to litigate well, that. What do we think he's paid at the moment? Probably not a lot. 35? Yeah. So, like, how would you like to get paid, like, Premier League money for... You know, sixty-seven. I mean, if he's good enough, he'll get there in two or three yeah, years. Yeah, totally. At his age, he sees a lot of upside. You know, what's Bellerin paid? He's going to be thinking. He's going to be rubbing his hands, saying, "I can do that." Yeah. No, I, I think that's all fair. And, and ultimately, I guess the reason I ask about midfield is, if we think El Nenny's going, and we know that Ramsey's going, and we know that we're probably going to be shopping for a wide player this summer, and we know we're probably shopping for a center back, and we know we may be looking for a left back. I mean, at some point, you know, we, hell, we may even have to buy a backup goalkeeper. At some point, you say there's not going to be enough money to address every position, and Maitland-Niles at least has a shout for being there. Clive, I, I, I know you probably do not want to get shut out of this conversation, but 16 minutes on Maitland-Niles feels more than I had intended. So how about just a real quick coda on the Maitland-Niles conversation and we move on? He's a nice player. I think what he's done recently is he's made himself busy. I think he's a little bit lackadaisical sometimes. And now he's just busier to get more touches on the ball. He's a very smooth player. The way he receives the ball is beautiful. So when you see him have lots of touches, he normally has a good game. It's when he does not get himself involved in the game, he can lack concentration. So the more touches, the better. And I think he's just looking smoother and less nervous. Would that make sense? I think he's quite a nervous kid. As I said before, I think he's 21 going on 19. He's not one of those kids that are sort of up ahead of themselves emotionally. And I think he is a, a, a young player still, you know, younger than his years. But I think he's growing up fast. And the role suits him. I read, listened to an interview with him. He said, I think I'm a right winger. 
So right wing back suits him. Uh, rather than Gibbs, I see him more of as, as a Lauren, that makes sense, and more of an underlapper and to Ashley Cole's overlapper and drive through lines. I love the way he plays. He drives, he underlaps, he sets Lacazette in that right-hand channel and he supports on the second phase. So he's not a corner flag wing-back, if that makes sense. He drives in, which means he, he really is a wide midfielder that can get back and defend. And I think I think he's a great squad player to have me things for you. And for me, his future's bright. We've just got to stay patient with him. Yeah, okay. Well, I think that's plenty on Maitland-Niles. I, I, you know, I wanted to focus on him because we have a game where there weren't a lot of incidents, and I don't think we've talked about him a lot. Um, so I think that it, it's good to, to draw attention to these players when we have a moment because it, it is a position that was a major, major problem for us, and he has played well enough. Look, I don't think he's been perfect, but he has definitely played well enough to allay concerns about that position as a reason we can't go on and uh, achieve whatever we want and need to achieve this season. Clive, let me stay with you for one second, though. This tie felt, in the end, very easy. And I think that we can wind up coming away from it feeling very good about ourselves. But when you look at the first leg against Napoli and the Everton game and the Watford game and the second leg against Napoli, and you really think about it, I think there are just a few warning signs, and I want to I get your thoughts on the fact that they did have 20 shots in this game. They did have big chances in the first leg that they squandered. They squandered some guilt-edged chances in this game, too. And look, that's football. You know, you, you play well, you still ride your luck at times. I mean, there was a, a Champions League game in midweek that I don't really remember, and I'm not sure what the outcome was, and I, I don't think it really matters. But it if if memory serves, it's a reminder that, you know, there are very, very fine margins between feeling really good about a performance and being eliminated from a tournament. <clears throat> so I'm not trying to split hairs too much. But do you have, do you think there are some warning signs in this game and in this tie generally with some of the chances that we gave up? And is it possible that, that you know, we should just be mindful of, of how open we were at times? I mean, they did, they did take 20 shots in this game. They did have a couple of big chances. Do you have any worry that maybe they had, like, to, to your point, Elliot, they had like 10 touch-and-go offsides. Yeah, that we, yep. They you were... know, it, even if they were offside, I mean, you just need a bad decision. And, I mean, they had the ball in the net twice. They had that wide-open header. So Yeah, and, and know. I know this will be framed as, oh, there goes Elliot, you know, pissing in everyone's Cheerios again or whatever the expression is. Um, but but I don't mean it that way. I just mean, do you, do you have any cause for concern as you look at the way we defended and say that there are just some warning signs in this tie with the number of shots they had and the, the chances that they squandered? Not at all, really, to be honest, Elliot. I think... Um, Good. I think, well, that makes me feel I, much better. <laughs> I think before the, before the goal, we, we were quite sharp and we, were, we weren't in charge. We were competitive and, we, and then we got the goal. Once you get the goal, the game becomes you've got to score four. You know what we're gonna do? We're gonna stay tight here, and if you want to have a shot, have one. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna try to deflect it and deflect into my net. I'm gonna keep you far enough away from my goal where you can have a shot from there if you want. That's a stupid angle. Don't want to take it. Shoot. I want a rest. And it's it's like that really. I think uh, the one minute header I think Kishani got caught in was probably one that you know could have gone the other way. Um, but they were so rubbish. He had a square head. He put it past near the corner flag. So. I just felt the story of the game made our defenders just be conservative, just make sure that we didn't give up big, 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 big chances too many. And if they got one, I think we could have gone again. I, I was I was disappointed in them actually. I thought 
I thought in the home game, I thought there were some bright moments after half-time, and I was a bit concerned. I even thought potentially we might go back four after what happened to Monreal. But uh, when you saw the, the selection for the game before, you thought, OK, back three. But the trick was to really press them up high with two forwards, and we did that, and they could not get out with the same quality. They, they couldn't match us physically. And I just felt the players just, just jabbed at them. Yeah, just jabbed them, kept them mm. at arm's length, had a couple of shots and said, yeah, go on then. Let me just pull out my socks. You do that. I'm going to go down and have a rest um, and just slow the game down, break up. It was really, really, really professional. And um, it's amazing what a goal does at the right time, especially away from home. It just changes everything. And they were deflated. The crowd yeah. went quiet. And, you know, we just played it out. So, Sometimes there was there were things that annoyed me in the previous game more than this game um, about our defending in the Watford game, about our slackness in the last third, about choosing the wrong foot for clearances, and and that game worried me a lot more than this game. Even though the numbers may not look as um, as damning, but this game I felt comfortable the moment we scored, and I just felt we were doing what we needed to do to get the result, to get out of there with the least energy expended looking forward to Crystal Palace. Yeah, I mean to be honest, it this did feel comfortable as com- you know, as certainly as comfortable as any of these things do feel. I I think that there were some warning signs um you know, in the first leg the the gap between Nacho and Kolasinac I think was exploited a bit. I thought in this game, you know, they they were able to get in you know, as as Paul rightly pointed out, I th- I think they were playing off the last shoulder a lot and there were times where it was really close between them getting in and not getting in. But overall, I thought we managed the game pretty well. I think that, Tim, the the problem here, obviously, is that any discussion of this game is going to inevitably focus on the Ramsey injury, and rightfully so. Mm. Um, you know, I, I think it's fair to say that our resurgence since Valentine's Day, roughly, since the Bate Borisov loss, has been largely due to Ramsey's involvement. Certainly Ramsey and Ozil together, but Ramsey's involvement has been a big, big part of it at both ends of the pitch. And certainly his ability to partner with whomever Emery wants to partner him with in midfield. While I don't think he was exceptional uh, in this game while he was on, he has been the the driving force of our resurgence. And now it looks like we may miss him for the rest of the season. I mean, I guess theoretically you could get him back for, you know, maybe the Europa League final if we're in it. But it is a worry. I mean, how concerned are you about us coping with him in his absence, without him, uh, while he's gone? Yeah, I, I am a bit concerned about that, I have to say. I, I think the thing is with Ramsey in, in recent weeks is he just, he kind of goes a long way to answering the the kind of conundrum that Emery has been grappling with all season between balancing this team between defence and attack. And, um, you know, this kind of, do I have three central midfielders and sacrifice an attacker, uh, you know, at at the expense of a fourth attacker? Or do I have two central midfielders and four attackers? Because Ramsey can bridge that gap, particularly with a back three behind him. And, and, you know, he really pushed on um, while he was on in this game, which I think shows you a lot. I I was really curious as to how it would pan out because... Um, you know, with Lacazette and Aubameyang on, it was a bit like, are we just going to leave it to those two to play on the counter? Like, how much is Ramsey going to join them? But he was right up there with them. And um, it was a lot like that Spurs second half where they where Lacazette and Aubameyang played the split striker role and they just had Ramsey kind of um, completing the V um, and just like bringing up the rear a little bit. Um, 
And yeah, I, I do worry about it. I do think in recent weeks, our, our two most important players have been Koscielny and Ramsey um, for completely different reasons. I, I don't think that Ramsey's like totally irreplaceable or anything like that. We've played without him a lot this season. And I mean, what this, I suppose what this kind of shows you, if you're looking to feel better about his departure, is that even when his minutes have been managed, He's still struggling. Um, you know, he's had this like muscle is- issue since the international break. He hasn't been able to get rid of it. We've tried to manage his minutes. Mm-hmm. The fact that we keep starting him shows you our dependence um, on him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Shows you how how the manager regards him at the moment. Um, and I do worry with like away games at Wolves and Leicester. Like Palace, I don't think he'd have played anyway. Um, I'm sure he was earmarked to sit that one out on the bench, but. Yeah, particularly with the away games um, coming up, because I just think it might see Emery lean back into that caution again, or else leave Lacazette and Aubameyang up front as a bit of an island again. Um, but what it is is, as um, as the manager said, it's a great opportunity for other players. You know, Mkhitaryan came on. Um, can he play that role? Um, Ozil, you know, that that's not a bad option to have, really. Um, it feels kind of ridiculous talking about Meza Ozil like he's some kind of, like, guy from the under-23s that might get a chance now. U- but, utility midfielder to plug in yeah. in, in an emergency. <laughs> yeah, like he's some kind of slightly more attacking El Nenny. Like, it's, it's, a, it's a fabulous opportunity for him. And again, I'm sure he'd have played against Palace anyway. And actually, where we are, because it's it's going to be Ozil, I'm sure, who's going to be asked to kind of pick up the baton. And he's had minutes managed and, and stuff like that. But um, I think the kind of thing for Ozil, A, it's a kind of, go on then, go and prove yourself. And B, the bridge, the, the rift between him and Emery has kind of, I think, been mended, at least temporarily in recent weeks. So it's not like we're bringing in super moody pissed off Ozil he's been involved it's not like he's not been involved and we've had to go to him with the begging bowl he's been involved um he knows how we're playing he's he's playing plenty so you know he obviously he's not going to do the same job that Ramsey's been doing but that's not to say that um he can't do what he normally does and and make us very very useful and and kind of knit this team together i I do tend to think as well, because Xhaka apparently is a doubt for Sunday against Palace. I think that it was a bit more important when Xhaka's not there, just for that bit of technical control. Yeah, totally agree. Um, mm-hmm. So if, if Xhaka is going to sit out the next couple of games, then I think having Ozil makes sense anyway. Um, so, yeah, and you know, we've got Mkhitaryan, we've got Iwobi, and, and we've even got Dennis Suarez, um, remember him. Um, so there, there, there are players there, um, and they're all really good players. I, I do wonder if they can give us what Ramsey's given us. And what worries me at this stage is we're kind of going to have to change the way we've been playing. And the way we've been playing, we've kind of settled into a groove recently. And this, this mm. kind of makes the needle jump a little bit. But that, that was going to be inevitable. That was going to happen, particularly when you're still quite dependent on players who are quite brittle, like Ramsey and Koscielny. It was always unlikely that both of them were going to be able to play every game. Do you have any criticism for Emery using Ramsey in this game, given that you know you, the one thing you know about him is anytime he plays two games in a week, you run the risk mm. of a muscle injury, and with a 2-0 lead after the first leg, he maybe, maybe could have erred on the side of caution a little bit? Mm, may, maybe. I wasn't complaining before the game, and, and look, 
ultimately they're footballers um, and we know they're not machines or anything, but they're footballers. Their job is to play football um, and you, you have to be able to trust them. And it's like this running. There are going to be players because we haven't got 100 players. There are going to be guys who are going to have to play pretty much every game uh, between now and the end of the season. And, you know, the manager's spoken about rotation and everything like that. And yes, we're going to have to do that, but we can't do that with everyone. And at some point, you, you know, yeah, footballers have to play football um, and they're going to have to play maybe a bit too much football sometimes, but they're just going to have to get through it. And um, unfortunately, Ramsey can't really get through it. And that maybe goes some way to making the separation from him a little bit easier uh, because it's it's becoming more and more difficult as he's getting more important. And, and actually, maybe in the long term, maybe it's a good thing um, to start weaning off now yeah. Um, and, and coming up with, with something different or integrating Ozil fully because we don't know what his future is, but he's there's more chance he's going to be with us next season than Ramsey, that's for sure. So um, maybe that's not a bad thing. But I, I yeah, I do worry a bit because I do think at this stage of the season, you want settled lineups as far as possible, settled styles. Um, and I do think that losing Ramsey changes something a little bit and we're going to have to hope it's not too disruptive. Yeah, and the interesting thing is, I mean, Ganduzi has kind of fallen out of favor a little bit. I mean, I don't think out of favor in the sense that, like, the manager has a problem with him, mm. but in the sense that he hasn't been used as much, this certainly brings him back into the reckoning for mm-hmm. a lot of potential playing time. And, you know, I, I think he has the, the skill and the quality to do it, but I take your point. I mean, if anybody now is in line to play every game, in my opinion, it's Mesut Ozil. I think we've had at mm. least one of them on the pitch at all times during this run of good results. And I think that's going to continue now with Ozil coming in and playing all the games. Would be great if Ramsey could get back on the pitch for us before leaving for Juventus and doing it in Baku to help win another cup final for us. Uh, That would be a nice way to cement his legacy. Paul, um, uh, Tim and Clive live uh, outside the United States, so they've already celebrated their Mother's Day. But uh, you and I have Mother's Day coming up here in the United States. You you picked out any gifts for your, your missus or your mom yet? Uh, I buy them those sexy underwear. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. We can get you sorted out yeah, for Mother's yeah. Day with a gift from the enclosed lingerie. So we'll take a break. Yeah. We'll sell you some lingerie for Mother's Day if you're in the U.S. If you're not in the U.S., we'll sell you some lingerie just because it's spring and it's time to start thinking about wearing skimpier outfits. So we'll take a break. We're going to talk about Lacazette and then look forward to the games coming up after this. Stay with us. Okay, everyone, it's time to tell you about our friends at Enclosed Lingerie. You can find them online at the Enclosed the E-N-C-L-O-S-E-D dot com. Enclosed Lingerie is a Lingerie of the Month Club. That's right, just like a Beer of the Month Club, only better, because it's a high-end luxury lingerie gift for you and your partner that's going to enhance the intimacy in your relationship. Right now, if you put in Arsenal at checkout, they're going to give you $35 off any gift from Enclosed Lingerie. So you're going to want to go to theenclosed.com and sign up now. What better way to celebrate the romance in your relationship than celebrating with a gift from the enclosed? And the gifts keep coming every month. So while it can be difficult to remember to keep the romance, to keep the intimacy in your relationship, the enclosed has your back. Every month you're going to get that high-end luxury lingerie gift, and it's going to remind you of the importance of romance in your relationship. So do it now. Go to theenclosed.com. There is a perfect fit guarantee, so you never have to worry about the fit. It's beautiful high-end luxury lingerie. Just go to theenclosed.com and enter promo code ARSENAL for $35 off at checkout. Do it now. 
Okay, we're back. And uh, awkward segue aside, I think we are ready to go. Uh, Paul, you have any thoughts on on the uh, enclosed advertisement that we just heard? Yeah, I'm just wondering if a number of our players might be wearing our uh, enclosed lingerie, a li- a, maybe a size too small. We've got like two or three groin injuries going around at the moment. See, Jack I, is hip. I feel like the extra support <laughs> down there can be helpful. I, I think, you know. Do you? Yeah, I mean, well. Like, you don't think that, they're going a little tight? No, you're supposed to wear those compression things and all that, right? So maybe a little compression is what's missing. Maybe they need something a little strappier, a little more risque. Um, uh, we, Jack, we can analyze Jack, that. Jack has a- had groin and hip. Terrera's got a groin. Somebody else had a groin thing. We all have a groin thing, as it turns out. (laughs) Um, Paul, let me ask you this. Uh, So, Lacazette goal. Fantastic free kick. But, but, any any goalkeeper issue there, or it's purely Lacazette's brilliance? So, I I think the issue here is, when I look at that shot, I'm like, hang on, why did it go there? He looks like he's wrapping his foot right around it, and it he just does a little bit. Uh, I mean, the whip's there, but he hits maybe the ball kind of centrally, and it, it gets this bubble curve. Now, I, I think if they're watching that on video, the next goalkeeper is going to kind of know what that ball is going to do. But that ball didn't do what anybody else's uh, shot does when you whip it around like that. I was sure. I watched it like five, six, seven times, just like everybody did, uh, thinking, no, that's going to the other side. So it just has a delicious pop and bubble curve right out, swings back in. I've, I mean, the keeper moved for a reason. The, the whole action, because they haven't really seen a Lacazette free kick like that before, looked like he was putting it to the other side. But it's a very dangerous free kick if he can do that on a regular basis because actually you couldn't tell which way it was going. He could have easily whipped it to the, the, the other post uh, with the same action, the same movement. The, the interesting thing was they were showing the two players lining up. It was Chaka and Lacazette, and I'm thinking this will be a Chaka shot. And you're looking at the two faces, and Lacazette's face was so relaxed, I'm thinking, well, he's not taking it. But he was deadly calm, and then he said about the, you know, the players supporting him. He'd been doing this in practice, uh, and he, the players all had belief in him. So this was very much on the cards. He, He's obviously been bubbling those in uh, in practice, too. So maybe this is the first of many. Yeah, I thought, I thought it was brilliant. I, Clive, you have to out yourself, though. You admitted it on uh, on Twitter. As he was lining up for it, you're like, oh, don't shoot from there. <laughs> Do you, yeah, you want to defend ready. yourself now? <laughs> well, I, just, I looked at him. What, what are we doing? Because I, I had this issue with the team. I think we're really a little bit wasteful in the last third. We could be so much more technically sound. I think we've... We've added a level of directness and intensity and uh, choreograph attacking. But, mate, the technical level's dropped. I'm thinking, well, decision-making, last third. Here comes another one now. Lacazette's taking it. Why isn't it, Shaka? I'm just about to type it out and explode it. <laughs> Clive gets <laughs> a lot of stuff internet. wrong, doesn't he? Yeah, I always admit when I get things wrong. You're, you're familiar I, I, with the expression about it. glass houses, right, Paul? <laughs> tell me, tell me again how Dennis Suarez is exactly what the squad's missing. His time is coming. If he isn't bloody it's injured, not, it's not coming. He's going. It he's is, going yeah. back to Barca. Anyway, go ahead, Clive. No, I just think I think it's good to admit when things are when things are wrong. When when you get things right, just brush it off, right? Pretend you didn't really mean it. You've got to be humble in this game because there's another game around the corner that's going to make you look stupid. One thing I was a little bit right on, I'm afraid, is Ramsey's injury record. Um, it's something that 
it's a major issue and has been for many, many years. And it's always that left leg, right? It's always that left leg. And it's it's a problem. And I think it's been a major part of why maybe some people in the club weren't prepared to invest in him. And yeah. It's just a shame because he's Look. up and down. And I think he's really improved this year. And people, I'm not just saying that because he's going. I'm saying that because tactically, I think he's better. I think the manager's better for him. And I think people are appreciating him slightly differently, and I'm me included, um, because of what he's bringing intention-wise to the team. If you look at his actual game, he's he's fairly loose still. He's still technically not sound, but you can't question his intent. And and I love players like that that really want to do things for the club, for the team. In particularly when Shaka was out injured recently, I thought he said, "I'm having this. I'll take yep. care of you in here." And that and that's just just what you want. And now I'm looking at Mkhitaryan now on Ozil yeah. and say, okay, there's a role here for you. What are you going to do? Are you going to take it? Or are you just going to jog about in that number 10 in a little armchair and, and, and make sure you don't do anything silly? Get hold of that position like Ramsey was trying to. You've got as much ability. You're quicker. You can dribble. You can carry the ball, Mkhitaryan. Ozil, we all know what you can do. Don't. He's there for you now to carry the team in the next five or six games. And if they don't, I'll tell you what, people are going to look back and say the moment when Ramsey got injured was the moment we blew it. And that should not be happening with the amount of talent we have in our club. So it'd yeah. be one to watch. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, I think the one thing that we can we can both agree with, Clive, is that like even if you think Ramsey's level has risen to the point where he'd be worth a mega wage, you can't give a mega wage to a player you don't trust to stay on the pitch. And so while we will all be sad to see Ramsey go, and of course we should have gotten a fee for him, um, these these injury concerns are sort of part of why it would have been very risky to commit to. And Paul, quick quick add on that before I I, I get uh, Clive to answer something else that I'm desperate to hear about. <laughs> Sorry to derail the Lacazette free kick conversation with the, that little curveball, but um, yeah, I, I actually think the answer to the Ramsey thing is it, it's a combo thing, right? It's Ozil and Mkhitaryan or Mkhitaryan and Ozil because you you just don't see Ozil playing. Not only every game, but every 90. And you need that. It seems at the moment you need that. You can call it a threat. But the, but the tag team of, depending on the circumstance, being able to pull in Mkhitaryan. And Mkhitaryan's more Ramsey-like. I mean, they're, they're pretty different, but they bring the same kind of energy and intensity. Uh, they and can both cover the, the whole pitch, forward. that's for sure. Yeah. yeah. And speeding the play, etc. And I think Mkhitaryan just needs a couple more games to get back in the swing of it. But I mean, he should be the business for us. He's been terrible um, the last couple of games. Something has really gone off the boil yeah. for him. I don't. I don't it's know what changed because he was playing really well. But yeah, yeah I, I take your point, and I, a couple I of games. yeah, I think that's I think that's absolutely spot on. I mean, Clive, one thing though that you know you you called yourself out, or I called you out, and then you repeated it for uh, nearly mm. getting it wrong about Lacazette taking that shot. Well, I can call myself out. I, I have an ability to tweet something and make the opposite thing happen. It is a power that I try to use sparingly, but it is uh, an extraordinary power that I have. And I, I had tweeted out just before the Lacazette free kick that our strikers were having another stinker, that they were having a shit off. And to be fair, one free kick does not change the pattern of play. I thought both strikers, again, were poor. Um, and I thought that... I think that they have been poor for several games in a row now, despite Aubameyang getting a goal against Watford, despite Lacazette hitting the beautiful free kick. And you could say, well, look, if strikers are scoring, that's really all that matters. And I think there is truth to that. But Aubameyang yep. missed another sitter. There were some bad touches. 
These two, maybe more than anyone else, are supposed to be the the strength of our team, the thing that sets us apart. Maybe you can say, well, they are. Look, even when they play poorly, they get goals. But do you have a concern with the way they're playing, and do you agree that they struggled again in this game? They struggled at times, but I think we're getting away with it. And we're winning games with them not being on top of their game. But we're seeing them in spurts. We've seen them do quite important things. But they haven't had that that those stellar games like the Spurs at home games, for example. They haven't had that. But we're winning. And that form will return. And I just feel that Arsenal as a team are better when those two play. And it's not always what they do. It's what they do to others. Everyone's watching them. Like everyone's stepping away. It was very interesting, the Everton game, when only one of them played. And I felt that we got pressed back into our half and we were under a lot of problems. So I think play them, support them with you know a number 10-like player that works two ways, support them in win-backs. If we go a back four, support them properly, in like again, with a player behind and have like a diamond in behind them. I just think other teams on, on their scouting sheets are going to have, I hope both of them don't play. Because they just work so well together, they work so hard, they press back in, they work the sides, they split they split fullbacks and centre halves. And I know we're looking at the outputs and I look at some of the chances that Barry Young misses and think, come on man. He's unlucky with the one that the keeper made an unbelievable save for in this game. He gets that goal, they both juggle with a goal jog off with a goal each and they do the after match interview, right? So it's 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 close, but we're we're they're there. They're there to miss them, Ellie, if that makes sense. Mm. They're there. The dynamic of what they're doing is good. And most importantly, they're available. Right now, I don't want to mention it, right, but right now we can't afford to lose one of those, right, with a Ramsey-type injury. We just can't afford to do it. We need to have them available on the pitch because it's just critical to those away games to have that threat from those two. And I think... um, that's the most important thing about Yeah, and, I mean, and if Suarez does have an injury, that's a bummer because actually, no, uh, the, well, hang on. <laughs> this, if he was ever going to have an opportunity, it's now. If he's any good, it's now. So if he's injured, well, that's just shitty all around because if Mkhitaryan's going to play a significant role in the number 10 spot tag teaming with Ozil, like Suarez or not, this would have been his opportunity. So I hope he's fit. I, I guess, like, my question is, though, like, wh- all right, look, I get you. He may have had a chance to play, but, like, we're projecting that he would have been worth a damn if he did. I mean, the the reports of but him But you're behind- projecting he wouldn't be. And well, we I mean, he, he hasn't been a good player in years anyway. Okay, but, but like, we signed him, and, he, and when he came in— And all the reports about him behind the scenes are bad. Play. All the reports. Yeah, but we, he has not had a chance to play. Now, no, may, I, I get maybe it. He's you're had right. one maybe decent shit. cameo against United. Yes, I agree with you. Yeah. I heard he's, he's got a groin strain, actually. Another groin yep. strain. Yeah, another exactly. groin strain. Again, and close laundry. It, it, the issue for Suarez was uh, Emery didn't know what he'd have in the, sec- the kind of second half of the season. He didn't know he was going to have Ramsey. He didn't know he was going to have Ozil contributing. He didn't know that, you know, Mkhitaryan was out injured. And as soon as we signed Suarez, we effectively get all three back, sure. and he hasn't had a look in. And I'm not saying he, I'm not defending Suarez as a play, player, just as a, sl- a signing for that position. Now's his bloody time. Ramsey's out. Um, Ozil needs competition. Mkhitaryan will be playing. Yeah, Shaka and Torreira might be, might be out for Crystal Palace. Look, I, look, I, yeah, I, I think, Paul, he, I think me, his that's time. All I'm saying. Will, 
I'm not I, saying I he's, he's any time, I think his time was the beginning of January when Mikatarin yeah. was out. And that was the time when we were looking at him with with big eyes thinking, come on, come in, we need you right now. By the time he got in and got up to speed, Mikatarin was back playing well. And, every, and Ramsey decided that, well, whether the club or Ramsey decided to stay, and suddenly we've got all these players that complain his position and he's down there trying to leap over the hierarchy of the dressing room and it just hasn't quite happened for him. The time was probably the start of January. Yeah. He would have had a four weeks if he was fit and he would have had a moment. And he's shown something, mm. but none of us can judge him because just Look. not enough time. And it's, he's a type that we could do with. He accelerates a game. He's quick. He's sharp. He's brave in the dribble. We just haven't seen enough to really judge him, and it's a shame, really. Let's see if Tim's still there. Tim, you still there? Yeah. Oh, yeah, good. Of course. Great, good. Um, yeah, welcome back. So uh, <laughs> putting Dennis Suarez <laughs> aside, because he is totally ancillary to any conversation here, and I, I, I am not criticizing the move to get him. I can see the wisdom of it. I think at this point, a- any analysis of him as a player is probably pointless. He's not going to play the rest of the season, mm. and he is not going to stay at Arsenal this summer. So it's superfluous at this point. We can go back and analyze why we why we signed him. Um, I but think if, it's perfectly but fine. But if he's fit, he could p- play for the rest of the I'll season. I'll put it this way. Maybe he could have. I don't think we will see him in an Arsenal shirt again. Anyway, um, but let's talk about people who are in an Arsenal shirt and have been for a long time. Tim, one of the biggest surprises to me this season, one of the things I have been most wrong about, uh, unlike Dennis Suarez, where I'm very, very right about it, um, <laughs> is is Lauren Koscielny. I, I yeah. did not believe he would play this season, let alone mm. play a lot and let alone play a lot well. An overage player suffering an Achilles tear. We've seen in other sports and in this sport, players' careers end from this. He came back early. He's played a lot, and he has gotten back to the level that is, I think, at least comparable to some of the best football we've seen him play. I thought he was great in Naples. Mm. I'm curious to get your opinion of his performance and just the overall shock at what he is accomplishing by even being on the pitch and playing this well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm I'm with you. I think it's um, probably the story of the season for Arsenal and, and maybe even in the Premier League, um, to be honest with you. It, it's, it's absolutely remarkable. And and what I... yeah, It's a physical feat. It's a psychological feat um, from him um, and from the people that worked with him um, on his injury. You know, we, we, we turned over a lot of staff to, to hire some guys on the performance side and, and it looks like they did a bang up job there. Um, but I, I think also it's, it's a tactical feat because he's changed his game. Um, if you'd have told, so I always thought that Koscielny wouldn't age well. Um, and I thought Mertesacker would, and actually it, it's kind of gone the other way around because I thought, well, you know, Mertesacker didn't have any pace to start with. He's always been a, you know, the first yards in the head kind of defender. Um, obviously he got an injury, but he, he quickly felt he couldn't play at a level anymore. Whereas the Koscielny of a few years ago, maybe even like two, three years ago, was very much like a bombastic defender, the guy who sprints to fires. And and, and he's, he's really changed his game and he's become that kind of... I mean, if you watch him in the stadium, he, he doesn't... I, and whether this is a concern or not, he doesn't run properly at all. He kind of trots now. He doesn't really break into into sprints. Certainly not over long distances does he break into sprints. He kind of trots. Reminds um, me of my maybe, dog at this point. <laughs> yeah. And and you know what? Maybe playing and like managing that Achilles injury for quite a while before it went 
maybe that prepared him for this because he was trying to lighten the load. Um, but he's he's become that kind of, right, I don't have the legs, so I'm going to arrange the legs around me. And when you watch him in the stadium, he's just calmly moving the pieces side to side. He's talking and he's just, yep, yeah, go over there. Um, it, it reminds me a bit of uh, like at Highbury, I used to sit in the clock end behind one of the goals. And I just used to watch Tony Adams. And honestly, th- this is going to sound like one of those stupid, nostalgic, sepia-toned, you know, this didn't really happen and I'm exaggerating. But honestly, I used to watch him point somewhere and like 10 seconds later, the ball would be there. Like he just, mm. he saw pictures defensively. Um, and Koscielny is doing something very similar at the moment. I'm just watching him kind of point to Monreal and just, just go out there a little bit. And sure enough, five seconds later, that's where the ball is. And he's, he's really, really become a really commanding presence like that. And I think it's made him a better defender. I think he's better and maybe that's because of you know he doesn't this this Achilles thing he'd been carrying it for a couple of years and now he's not carrying it anymore. Do, do you think um, it, also though that that the fact that he now has a much speedier aggressive partner in Socrates yeah. and he can yeah. be more of the Murdersacker instead of having to be yeah. the, the Socrates to 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 Murdersacker's Murdersacker? Yeah, one hundred percent. I wrote about this when I wrote about Koscielny a little while ago and I, I looked at some of the numbers and Koscielny far fewer duels, fewer aerial challenges that he's going into, um, fewer sprints, fewer recoveries. Um, and Socrates is taking some of that work for him because Socrates just loves doing that and, and he's quite good at it. And yeah, it's it's exactly, it reminds me of the Koscielny Murtasaka, um partnership of a few years ago, but Koscielny has become the Murtasaka and honestly, I, I think he's our most important player. I just don't think we're the, we're the same and not, you know, and and also let's face it, he's he's our best defender by quite a distance. And I like Socrates, and I think he's good, and I'm happy with the pair of them. But I think Koscielny, look, ultimately, what happens when you don't play Koscielny is you Mustafi. play Mustafi. <laughs> I mean, it's the distance Indeed. between the two, yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly, and that's that's maybe that's a long term. Well, it's certainly going to be um, an, a fairly immediate issue for us, and. And, you know, maybe we've got to suck this season up and just enjoy it because he we can't take for granted he's going to be able to do this again next season because um, at some point that injury is going to catch up with him. And, and if it doesn't, age will catch up with him anyway. And he's going to be 34 in September. So I'd love to squeeze another season out of him, but ideally I'd like that to be in a kind of phasing out role in a kind of, we'll bring you in for the big games when we're playing three at the back. And we've got two, you know, we've got like Torreira and Jacker or Genduzi ahead of you doing all your running. But, you know, we're not going to play you every week. We're, we're in a position where we, we've got to buy a centre-back, really, before we can do that. But um, my my position on that at the moment is I'm trying not to worry too much about that. I'm just trying to enjoy this, this, this fabulous player who's been with us for such a long time and who, you know, Frankly, I thought his career ended um, that not his Arsenal career. Anyway, I thought it ended that night in Madrid, and I was I was terribly sad about that because I've I've come to, you know, we, we have like the legend conversation a lot at the moment, don't we? And we have it about players like Ramsey, and it, if there's someone, and and to all intents and purposes, I kind of think it's a bit of a pointless, if entertaining, conversation. But um, Lauren Koscielny is is uh, whether he's a legend or not, he's he's the closest 
um, in the current squad. And I've, I've hugely enjoyed watching him come back like this. And yeah, uh, yeah it, there's, do you know, there's even a little part of me um, as much as I think it would be bad that would just like to see him go this summer and just finish like this. Um, Cause I think he deserves that. Well, if we lift the cup in Baku, wouldn't that be a great yeah. sending off for him? I mean, and, and sort of the perfect coda to the time he's been at Arsenal, right? Uh, lifting, yep. Not the cup we want, but the cup we're good enough to win. Um, you know, I, I think there'd be sort of a poetry to that because his time at Arsenal has been the era, the epoch, right after when we were one of the best in Europe. You know, and so yeah. it, it'd be an interesting... And how, yeah. how difficult has it been in his nine years at Arsenal to be a defender and look good? Because I can't think... I, I can only think of Bakary Sanya, maybe as a pure defender who's who's done that in the same time that Koscielny's been here. Certain for, for, certainly for any extended period. I mean, Mertesacker had a season or two where he looked really good, but yeah. yeah, I take your point. And I think part of the reason he looked good is he had an athletic Koscielny next to him who could who could bail him out while he just sort of stood there at the you know top of the box. But I, I think it also was a reminder of how difficult it is to rebuild a central defense because I think you got to have a 30-year-old center back. You know what I mean? I, I think no matter how athletic and physically gifted a young player can be, I think what we're seeing from Koscielny is you really only develop the vision and the awareness and the experience and the the sort of premonitions to to play center back later in your career. Now, that doesn't go for all central defenders. There are good young center backs, but I, I think you do want that balance. Where most, most teams rebuild around youth, I don't know if you can rebuild a central defense around youth. So we'll see what happens there. Um, I think we should turn our attention to the games coming up now and... And Paul, just really quickly, I, I think we got a break. You you could argue um, with how the Chelsea side of the tournament turned out. I, I actually think that Frankfurt are a really good team, and I think that because they can score goals and Chelsea struggle to score goals, I think it could be a really really stern test for them. Now, the downside to that is I don't love our chances against Frankfurt if we were to play them in the final. I think that they will be a really tough opponent, but I could see them knocking out Chelsea. Um, more than I could have seen that from Benfica. On our side, we get the tougher team, but we knew that was kind of coming in Valencia. Um, still, we will be favorites, and uh, it's a tie we can win. It brings back your favorite Arsenal player, uh, Francis Coughlin. How much are you looking forward to his return to the Emirates? Um, so the first game's at the Emirates, but isn't he uh, suspended? It wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> Because <laughs> uh, I think he got an extra yellow card what in a this shot. game. That was that was the chatter I saw on Twitter. Is that yep. right? Yeah. Yep, that's oh correct. well, that that's a shame. Single tear rolls down my face. But I mean, how, how worried are you but about Valencia? In Valencia's the away general? leg, <laughs> yeah. yeah in the in the away leg, we'll play. I actually think it could be quite interesting seeing Torreira against Cacala and see them doing their thing. That there'll be a little side show. And we'll hopefully get to see Gabriel in both legs. Both players I liked a lot. Um. And I personally was sorry to see go, but there you go. Um, it was definitely time to move on and up from Cochrane. I get that bit of it. So uh, I think, I mean, it's going to be an interesting matchup. They're a very good team. For uh, what I've thought about Emery as the as the Europa League specialist is, uh, like when he gets Crystal Palace to come come into our ground, or we go away to Everton, or we go away to Watford. Um, he's still getting used to just how fucking intense those games are, how teams that we should be able to uh, swat and twat away are going to give you a hell of a game. And he just, 
uh, I think this is he's done incredibly well. He's now got 32 wins out of his first 50 games, which is better than any Arsenal manager ever. And uh, I'm not up in. That's why Emery I was so excited about his appointment when they announced it. Yeah, I'm not up in Emery. I, I don't think he's been brilliant or wonderful or perfect by any means. But it, it's kind of it takes you back a bit to realize no, nobody else, not not Graham, not Wenger, not nobody has done that in the first 50 games. So he's doing pretty good. But the Premier League's got to be quite the eye-opener for him in terms of uh, just what he's going to get from particular teams home and away. Um, and he must look at the Europa League and think, yeah, I, I know, I got the feel for this. I know what a- Napoli away is going to be. I know what, he's going to really know what Valencia away is and Valencia at home is. So overall, that's my overriding security in this not that he's just not just that he's a europa league specialist as some some describe him but he knows these teams he knows these grounds Mm -hmm. he knows the rhythm of the games um and you know it's less valencia and the fact that emery knows every fucking thing about them uh, and has done for forever so that that's my guiding, calming feeling. I think Valencia is a really good matchup for us in that sense, even if they're a good team. Um, Emery is just going to have a good feel for what he needs, how he needs to play it, um, how aggressive we need, how, how, how much we need to go at them and when. He's played Napoli really well. I do think there's a bit of narrative there with Napoli. They could have been a lot better with a little bit of better finishing. Um and uh, and uh, you know had we not got this goal against against them with the free kick early in the tie, this could have been quite a di- different and and livelier affair. But you just feel that Emery's at home at these grounds against these teams. So yeah, kinda... you, you know, look, the conventional wisdom is that you want to play at home in the second leg, right? I've never yep. really understood that. But that was the conventional wisdom. I totally disagree with that for this Arsenal team. And I think playing the home leg first is a huge advantage for us. And I thought you saw it in this tie because, look, our away form is a thing. Whatever reason we think it is, whether I think it's selection or tactics or psychology, it's a thing. And this game was less stressful and, you know, let's say it easy to some extent because we went into this away game with a two-goal lead and feeling that we had a position of confidence. I think playing at home is a huge advantage for us to do it first because I think we're very, very good at home. I think we will win the home leg, and then we go away feeling like we're favorites, feeling good about our chances, as opposed to going away first, making a pig's ear of it, as they say, and then having to rescue it in a second leg. Um, so, you know, I think this is an advantage. Now, look, we we had the same situation against Atleti last year and dominated them in the first leg gave up the Griezmann goal and went out as everybody knows hopefully it won't be the same Clive as we finish up here the question then turns to how Emery manages this we're going to be playing every three or four days for the rest of the season it is an impossible fixture congestion that we face now uh through the end of the season and we do it potentially without Ramsey for any of it with Shaka nursing an injury with Torreira nursing an injury with Dennis Suarez sadly nursing an injury with Koscielny nursing being old, <laughs> um, you know, and and really having to look at this and say, you know, and let's face it, I mean, Nacho Monreal and, and even Socrates are not spring chickens. So he's going to have to figure out how to get the balance right. And I'm curious for you now, with a trophy within sight, with 
you know, a, a realistic path to winning the Europa League, albeit potentially having to face Chelsea in the final, and probably being just barely favorites to finish top four, which do you think he needs to prioritize? And how do you think he gets the balance right in terms of rotation? You've got a question to answer. I, th- I do think, uh, I'm going to say it now, I do think he's had the Europa League in, in his mind. And the difference in focus for the Everton game and, and the games, Napoli games around it, the players were they were on it for those games. They really were. So that tells you there's an internal focus within the club that we're going for that. I think they know what they need to do in the league. I think they're focused on certain games, obviously their home games. I think the obviously the Wolves games and Leicester games are staring at us, right? So if we can get four points from those games. I think Burnley, if we have to get something on the last day, we will do so. Um and, and make sure we take care of business in the home games. I think it's there for us. I don't see a need to prioritise any particular competition. I think the most important thing is we've had two away wins on the trot. And I'm starting to see a better confidence away, even though I didn't like the performance of the of the Watford game. The results are giving us a confidence. That's two on the trot. We stopped conceding of you know silly goals really, apart from the Everton one. And so we're we're improving slightly. So do we get excited? Not yet, because as we saw with Ramsey going down, things can change very, very quickly, right? So I think he does a great job of rotation. I mean, I, I'm I'm ready for he, this He manager. didn't early in the year. He didn't early well, in the year. I think he's well, improved dramatically in that. He used a lot of first-team players for things like the League Cup and the Europa League but, group stage, and we were and, talking and about I, that and, a lot in, and, in October, November. And I, and I agreed with him. I agreed with him, and, and I know you didn't, but I did, because he was trying to create an all-for-one attitude, and so he couldn't leave people at home like Wenger did and split them into two squads. He wanted to set the rules down, and he was getting to know his players. You can't get to know them when half of them are at home watching EastEnders, right? So I think I agreed with it. I know it didn't always work for you when it came to rotation, but that was the period he went for the 22-game unbeaten run. So I think he does a good job. doesn't get it right every single time, obviously, and sometimes he is projecting forward for the next few games, and we try to understand what he's trying to do. But I was ready for this manager. For my own personal the way I look at football, I'm I'm ready for someone who looks at a game and then pro- approaches a game tactically and changes for that game. Uh, I think, you know, I, I I can see what he's trying to do. The odd occasion I get flummoxed and think, why have you done that? But crikey, the amount of changes he introduces every single game, every single, even within games, it's so hard to get every single one right. right? But I must prefer somebody that's looking at it, trying to problem solve. Because for me, football is about problem solving, having players that can do that for you what live while the game is going on. I think it's a massive... If you're looking at the future of this team, there's two things we need to buy for. Problem solvers and building trust. Mm. We have too many players that give us 2 out of 10 or 9 out of 10. And we need to be able to fix problems without always reverting to the bench. If you're looking for next year's signings, look for those for that criteria in the players. Tactically flexible problem solvers, more consistent performers that are competitive. And I promise you that's where we're going to end up next year. And, I, and we will do that. I'm going to say now as the Europa League winners, I'm convinced he's going to win that tournament. I think he's going to blow past Valencia. I don't care what Chelsea got in the final. They're getting done as well. Right? And if and if, I do agree with you about Eintracht Frankfurt. I think they're a very good team. Lots of bright young players. But I don't see Chelsea falling at the semi-final to them. So it will be after Chelsea in the final. And we, will, and we will take them. No problem. 
Yeah, well, I I wish I shared your confidence. I mean, I feel pretty good about it, actually. Um, I, I just think it's going to come down to, honestly, how fit and and healthy we are. I mean, Chelsea have one less game than we do in the league to play. Um, you know, so that will help them, certainly. Tim, last last question here for you. First of all, just between the two, just sort of quick, like off the top of your head answer, which is the priority right now? I, I honestly think neither. I, th- I think... Um, so we should lose both, um, you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> the, the top four and, and, and your own? I, I, I honestly think we're just at a stage where we just have to go for, take each game as it comes and go for every game. Um, I, I, I've never believed you have to make um, a decision, uh, really, unless circumstances absolutely warrant it. And I don't think they do. I think we can, you know, it's... It's a few games left now. I don't think we have to make any decisions, big decisions there. I, I, I like the line that's been coming out the last few weeks that, you know, we've got six, seven, eight, nine, whatever, cup finals. And I, I think that's the only way to treat it. Um, I think if you start choosing at this stage, you get yourself into trouble. Okay. Detrimental to both, basically, both exactly. competitions. Yep. Yeah, you, yep. you, you can wind up as, you know, kind of, shitting the bet in both because you were trying to split the baby, right? I mean, you, you put out yep. a medium team in the league and lose, then you put out a medium team against Valencia and lose. I take your point, but I mean, I think even you would agree, Tim, although whenever I'm about to say something, I shouldn't presume that anyone <laughs> will agree, that like, there's no way Koscielny plays every one of the games we have remaining. Like, that's no. not physically possible. Probably same is true for Nacho Monreal. Probably same is true for some of the midfielders who are carrying Knox, um, especially now with Ramsey out of the rotation. I mean, I don't even know that you want to play Lacazette and Aubameyang in every single one of the games. So given that, mm. you know, while I agree with everything you previously said, choices still have to be made. Yeah, yeah. How would you, would you make them by, you know, maybe playing a back four and three up top so that, you know, in the league so that you can yeah, maybe. M- more equitably split the the way the talent is distributed across the pitch? What What's the right way for him to sort of, do what you suggested, which is take every game as a cup final while being realistic about the fact there are just players that can't play every single game. Yeah. I mean, I mean, in that case, the premier league gives you more, um, gives you more just because there are more games. It gives you more, Mm. uh, kind of room for that bit of rotation. So I think ideally Koscielny would play both legs of the Valencia semi-final. And then if we get to the final, he'll play that as well, for example, whereas, you know, there's there's just a bit more latitude in, in the Premier League games, and we've got um, the brilliant Mustafi to come in uh, for him if he can't play. So, if choices are going to be made at this stage, that yeah, they're probably going to be made in some Premier League games. And I'm wary of taking Crystal Palace too lightly on Sunday. I think they're a very good team with some, uh, particularly away from home, they hit you on the counter, and they got some players that can really hurt you. And um, I sense the fans have very much fallen into this um, we're at home so we win so that's the end of it but I, I don't think it will be quite that straightforward um, but that's kind of irrelevant as long as the players haven't fallen into that frame of mind it doesn't really matter um, but yeah we would certainly on Sunday against Palace we're going to have to make some choices I think we're going to have to take like Koscielny out of the and and there is a danger because we've lost Ramsey um, of kind of over-egging the pudding a bit. So that's no Koscielny. That's no Ramsey. Jacques is a doubt. Torreira's a doubt. But, Socrates um, is out. Socrates, yeah. He's Socrates banned. Socrates yep. is suspended. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but where we've got the players and the room for rotation is in the forward position. So we can rotate like Lacazette and Bamiyang. We can rotate Iwobi and Mkhitaryan. And if he gets fit again, Denis Suarez. Like there, There's a bit more latitude up there. And you could make the argument that defensively, um, defenders don't need quite as much um, R&R as midfielders and forwards. Um, Koscielny is probably an exception there. Um, and, you know, you can rotate left back between Monreal and Kolasinac if you want to do a back four. So, honestly, the the answer is just to take it game from game, see what players look like in training, see what you can get away with. Um, and if we rest a couple of players on Sunday, I, I don't think that's us taking Palace lightly. It's just we've got to do it at some point and we're pretty strong at home. So it kind of makes sense to do it in the home game. Um, so yeah, we're, we're, some tough choices are going to have to be made, but I think Emery has been rotating the team all season anyway. Um, so I, hopefully that, that won't be too much of kind of a culture shock for the players. And for us, I sense this, this sense of um, going mental every time the starting lineup is announced has kind of died down a little bit, whether that's just because results have been better or we've gotten used to the manager doing it. I'm not sure. So Hopefully it won't create too much of a frisson. Um, but I, I guess to answer your question, I think now just because there are two, possibly three games left, he'll go as strong as he can for the Europa League games because they're knockouts. Yeah, well, I, I I think in that case, right, the, the punishment is more severe in, in the sense that like, especially the home leg, right? Like if you fall behind to Crystal Palace because you picked the wrong team, you know, and you're 1-0 down after 30 minutes, you can change it up and recover and, and yeah. even come back and win the game. You, you're you 1-0 down against Valencia. Even if you come back and win the game, you've given up the whole, yeah. you know, the, the away goal and so on and so forth. So, yeah, I think at a minimum, you've got to be full strength for that Valencia home leg. If you get a 3-0 somehow, what you've done is you've given yourself a rotation opportunity in the return leg. Um, so th- yeah. there's a, another advantage there. Look... I think this Sunday has the potential to be the banana skin because we have all sort of agreed that to make top four, we have to win our home games. And doing it without Ramsey, without Socrates, potentially rotating Koscielny out, maybe without Torreira, maybe without Shaka, like none of that is ideal. We could surely use Mkhitaryan to come back into form right now and an Ozil masterclass at home uh, to get through it. And hopefully that's what we'll get. But let's leave it there. Tim's on Twitter. So better. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. Paul's on Twitter. Pause in my pants. Thanks, Paz. Woohoo! Clive's on Twitter. Clive PAFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. My name's Elliot Smith. Lockman Twitter. Yankee Gunner. Give us a five-star review. Vote for us in the FBAs. You can just go to arsenalvisionpodcast.com forward slash FBAs and one-click vote. There's two days left. Um, and losing this to Sunderland, I mean, what would be more Arsenal than, <laughs> than something like that? But let's not let that happen. Um, I think... We have a mailbag podcast scheduled for Patreon next week. I know that we will have a post-Crystal Palace podcast as we are committed to doing a podcast after every single Arsenal match, uh, no matter how exciting or not exciting uh, they turn out to be. So we love you. We appreciate you for listening to us. And as always, we will talk to you after Arsenal 10. Palace nil.